The KCLR Daily with Brian Redmond on air, online and on smart speaker. You're welcome back to the KCLR Daily. If you have any questions or comments on the segment that we're going to talk about next, don't forget our Dinner's Ready text on WhatsApp line is 083. 306-9696 and uh, you can also free phone us on 1800-90-96-96 and also reminding you that uh, KCLR has a page full of helpline and advice line information um, available through the website kclr96fm.com Now, she must be pregnant. Are you on antibiotics? Sure, you're not an alcoholic. You're just like a drink. You're too young to be an alcoholic. But what does being an alcoholic look like? I'm joined now in the studio by two people who definitely don't fit any of those stereotypes. Two people who've been part of my life for four or five years now and at various different times during that relationship, both of them have come and told me that they both face their own struggles um, with their relationships with um, alcohol. Christine Power and Shane O'Keefe both join us in studio. Um, First of all, thanks to you both for coming in and having a chat to us today. Christine, Morning, what, Brian. what does an alcoholic look like? Well, the stereotypical idea of an alcoholic that I would have had personally would have been um, somebody dirty, homeless, in the street, maybe with a bottle in their hand. Um, as a, a child, that's what an alcoholic would have looked like to us. But then growing up with alcoholism that idea then would change so it could be your bus driver it could be your bank teller it could be your boss it could be your family member you just don't know is it you yes i am an alcoholic i am sober 28 months saturday shannon keith yo you look different to christine obviously Um, you also have your own battles in terms of the relationship with alcohol. Tell us about those. Yeah, I, I suppose I wasn't an everyday drinker, but I was a hardcore binge drinker. Um, I'm only eight months, near enough to eight months on this journey. It was something I realised last summer. It kind of reached a crescendo. I've always known that there was a problem there. I started drinking when I was 14. So I'm coming up on 20 years now. So I've always known that there was an issue there with it and for so long I relented and things start getting worse and it starts getting worse and you can't handle it and then you stop and then you think you can go back and that's the cycle that I found myself in for nearly 20 years and how would your binge drinking manifest itself what would you actually be drinking how much and how often it, oh, it, it progressed uh, a lot like when I was 18 I used to drink two bottles of wine and six cans of lager when I used to go and get three flagons of cider, I'd always change it up. In the past two or three years, I switched to spirits and I drink a full bottle of whiskey followed by cans of lager or I drink a full bottle of gin and followed by cans of lager or cider, whatever was there. And then if it wasn't enough, I'd start looking for the dregs of stuff that was left in the house or I'd make myself get sick so I can continue drinking. And then when I'm getting sick, there's blood in my sick. I'd wake up, I've after wetting myself I've blackouts, I've things that I have absolutely no clue of. And that started happening earlier and earlier in this session. You know, after four beers instead of after 12. Christine, your um, 
your alcoholism was very different to Shane's. Yeah, my, whereas you Shane would have been day. a binge, binge drinker. Yeah, I was a daily drinker. Um, I would have what I thought used to be, you know, acceptable to have a glass of wine or two glasses of wine and then it progressed into a bottle of wine and that would be nightly. And then when I didn't have work the next day, then I knew that I could take more and that could be two bottles of wine. And then I would know that that wouldn't be enough. And I'd stock up on many cans of the even though I'm not a a spirit drinker, I would have then cans of the pink gin because they were six percent. So I knew that if I had four or five of them, that would bring me up to the level that I would want to get to. But like Shane, I knew in my 20s that I had a serious or bad relationship with alcohol. I would have started drinking again like Shane at a very young age. I was in primary school when I started drinking. Um, Primary school? Primary school, yeah, I would have been. I think I was in fifth class when I started drinking. Um, How How does a primary school child get access to alcohol and... What does it feel like at maybe 10, 11 years of age to actually have those drinks? Well, I would have hung around with um, an older crowd um, and I I would have lied to say that I was having a sleepover or I was babysitting with a friend and we'd be up in the handball alleys. So we would then, I would be then drinking with them and I always kind of wanted to be older and I wanted to be able to drink and to do the things that, you know, older people did. So then I thought that I was older when in fact I was very naive, very young, very impressionable. And then I just went with the crowd. Can you remember the first time that you got drunk? Yes, I can. It How was, old are you? Uh, I was probably in fifth class and it was three cans of harp through a straw. Because the older crowd were drinking them through the straw, which apparently you get the buzz quicker. So, Christine mentioned there a moment ago, Shane, um, when she was talking about drinking the cans of pink gin, that she realised that by drinking them because they were 6% alcohol, that she could get to, I think the word you used was a buzz or a condition or a state. Shane, did you ever identify the fact that you were drinking to get to a particular mindset also? Yeah, like I think if anyone hears me on radio and stuff and they see me on stage or whatever, they might think I'm a very affable kind of open fella that likes having the crack. But I'm I'm quite, I'm a very quiet person when I'm not around. And I feel like I'm always putting on a show no matter who I'm talking to, whether, oh, this could be a potential client, this could benefit my career. And, you know, so there's a certain fakeness to that. And then I'd go and analyse those things that happen throughout the day I'm a quite self-conscious person I'm quite self-aware which can be a bad thing as well so I think about that my mind is just going all the time so when I was drinking it was like putting a blanket over my brain it was like going shh alright you can relax now you don't have to be constantly be productive you don't constantly have to think and have anxiety going through your body about the different interactions that you had in the day it's time to just relax because downtime wasn't something that I was comfortable with because I wasn't comfortable with myself. And I still go through that, regardless of drinking or not. But it's something that I'm able to manage now a lot better. Have you identified what elements it is of yourself that you're not comfortable with? Um, it, It's just a constant voice in my head. It's just the, the, the constant uh, feeling of not being good enough, weight struggles, uh, different interactions with people throughout the day. Um, I'm involved in a lot of things, so I'm dealing with a lot of noise. And most of that noise is coming from within. So 
when I was drinking, it just stopped all that noise. I was able to sit down and watch YouTube and just laugh. And then I next time I was going to drink it, I wouldn't remember any of the videos that I watched. So I'd be watching the same stuff again. Christine, you mentioned that you wanted to be in with the older crowd. Shane has talked about um, trying to put a blanket over his own brain. Within your own head, within your own being, within your own psyche, were you aware of trying to hide away from things or run away from things or run towards things? Where, where was the motivation for you? Um, for me, I think it was more that um, I think I used alcohol as company. Um, I think I used it as an excuse for to to be able to to relax or um, I'm going to switch off now and have a glass of wine. I I made myself believe that I was having alcohol to relax or to celebrate or to commiserate. But in fact, it was addiction um, and it got that I actually had no control over alcohol. My life had completely become unmanageable due to alcohol. I didn't want to drink physically. I didn't want to drink, but I couldn't stop myself from drinking. Like I would battle daily from the moment I would open my eyes to the moment I closed them with drink in me. It would be a constant battle within me about not wanting to drink. I don't want to drink. I don't want to drink, but I would drink. Did you get worse through the years where most people are actually starting to get out and find their own feet, celebrate their own life, do their own things, have their independence? You went from being a child drinker to being a young adult drinker. You know, most people find adolescence and the start of their lives liberating. For you, was that a point where the alcoholic within you became liberated? Yeah, possibly, yeah. That's a, it's a good point. Like... I because I've drank from such a, a young age, um, I don't know whether I have matured to that adult <laughs> level. Because I don't think my my brain or myself ever got to fully embrace who I am. Like I still like I'm sober now, just coming on twenty eight months and every day is um important to me that I know that I can't drink. And I don't want to drink. Um, but I have to not forget that I could drink tomorrow. It could be something very simple and very easy that could make me pick up a drink. Um, and I have to acknowledge that and be aware of that. But like working within myself, I, I like I still have a lot to to work on and to find out what my triggers are, what makes me thick. Do you know, like I, I think you... Personally, I kind of think that, oh, I'm not drinking. I'm, you know, I'm better, but I'm not. I still have to kind of figure out mm. who I am and, and where I'm going in life. Shane, we've already began the discussion by talking about how there is no stereotype for an alcoholic in terms of how they look, what they do in their everyday life, or indeed how they drink. I mean, you guys both express very different habits in terms of um, how your drinking manifests itself. Christine talks about um, it being on her mind every day. Is it on your mind every day? It was probably on my mind every day because I've done it to excess that I'm still feeling the repercussions of it. No matter if it's two or three days later, it's it's so much toxicity I was putting in my body. How much would you, like at the height of it, how much would you have drank in a session, if we call I, like it that? A, f a full bottle of gin and cans. 
I wouldn't feel, and I wouldn't be able to enjoy the gin, say, because I'd be like, oh, I only have six cans. And then you're looking at the you're looking at the watch going, what time is it? All right, is it before 10 o'clock? Okay, how am I going to get to the shop? I'm going to have to get a taxi to the shop. I'm going to have to get someone to pick me up. Oh my, it's after 10 o'clock. I wonder if there's any beer in my parents' house. Be like you with cigarettes. Mm. Do you know, like if you only have one in the box and it's only seven o'clock yeah. and you're thinking, ooh, another few hours before I go to bed and I'm going to want one in the morning, am I going to have enough? It's like that with and alcohol. E- and you, it's even worse when you decided not to drink and you have some time off maybe the next day and you're like, I only have 20 minutes to get to the shop. And that you become fixated on it. And then you decide, no, I'm not doing it. It's not happening, but it's the battle all the way through. And then after 10 o'clock, you're not even happy that you didn't drink. You're annoyed. You're annoyed with yourself. So even when you might have had a few hours of, you know, staying away from it or a few days of staying away for it, you actually feel that as a sense of failure? Yeah, I I would be annoyed if I had something arranged for the next day which would stop me drinking. Yeah. Which means that I started actively disliking all my passions. All the things that I loved and I strive for that I thought I wanted was getting overcome by my want to drink and my desire to keep that going for as long as I could. And it it, it enveloped my whole a whole life system. It made me a person that I didn't even recognize anymore. And I can't fathom to think what other people seen in me as well and seen me go through that. Like to hear the way when I tell people that I stopped drinking, my father and my mother so proud of me. Mm-hmm. I was like, what are you proud of? And they were like, we've seen you do this to yourself. And we've seen it before you've seen it. And we're so grateful that you've seen it. And the, to know the impact that it had on them to stop me drinking is, is it, it, it blows your mind. Christine, um, at the height of it, how much would you have been drinking? Well, it would have been every day. So Were you a good alcoholic? To an extent. In, in ter- oh, and I mean, what I mean by that is, were you somebody who was able to function every day, who was cute enough to know what they needed to yes. do to feed their, their, their mm. addiction and be able to wangle their life financially, personally, work-wise to allow that addiction to grow? Oh, absolutely. I was um, doing really well in my job. Um, to everybody outside, I was doing really well. Um I was drinking every night of the week, Monday to Friday. I would only have one bottle of wine because I knew I would have work. So I would be able to get up. No problem. Function, go to work, do my job, hit my targets. Everything is fine. Friday night then I would go into excess and I might have two bottles of wine. Stay in bed most of the day, Saturday, get up and then Saturday night then do it again. Have two bottles of wine, have maybe the gin because Sunday I know that I can stay in bed all day Sunday. And then Sunday I would stay in bed all day. I would be severely sick, hungover, um, get up Sunday evening, have a shower, go back to bed. And then Monday, wake up and then the battle starts. I'm not going to have a drink today. I'm not going to have a drink today. And then I have the drink. So my drinking was daily and that was for since I think before COVID, I was drinking daily and it was the the madness that I just couldn't control it. And that's my family, like Shane, they knew that I had a problem and my sister would talk to me and ask me would I consider going to AA and maybe look at my alcoholism. But the, the thoughts of never drinking again terrified me, terrified me to the point that I would rather stay on this horrific merry-go-round than actually consider not drinking. Um, we're going to take a short break in a minute. We'll continue this conversation. We'll talk about the impacts on your lives, the impacts on 
the people that you love and we'll talk about the road over the last 18 months or 24 months or in Christine's case uh, but I want to read that this text there from a listener in into the break in our life we have our addictions for whatever reason um, opening up about it and talking about it is a brave thing to do and I bow my head in respect of it we are all human and deserve to be treated with respect and understanding to our recovery and healing um, it's a daily struggle and will continue to be it never really ends but it does lessen in time I applaud you both uh, just know you are human um, being just like everybody else talking to two alcoholics that's lovely Christine and Shane we're going to take a short break we'll continue this chat in a moment The KCL or Daily with Brian Redmond on air, online and on smart speaker with thanks to the Fairgreen Shopping Centre gift card the perfect gift for all occasions see fairgreen.ie the KCLR Daily with Brian Redmond on air, online and on smart speaker. You're welcome back to the KCLR Daily. We started this piece by talking about people who are this coming weekend looking forward towards their first drink after um, going through a, a dry January and um, talking to two people who uh, their battle to stay dry goes on one day at a time every day of the year. Christine Perrin, Shane O'Keefe are both with us in studio. Um, we talked before the ad break about where your drinking started from. Um, you both did a fantastic job of trying to express why or how it started. I, I want to talk about the impact of your drinking on the people around you. Christine, oh. I'll come to you first. Well, my... You started as a child. It's been yeah. there every day. Yeah. Right. There's been people in your life who've been there every day, be they your parents, your 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 friends, your sisters and brother, your family. You've talked about the impact on you. What was the impact on them? The impact, I would have been a, um, a solo drinker. Um, so I was more hurting myself than hurting around me. I think... With my immediate family, it was more they could see me hurting myself and they could see that I was struggling and hurting and that broke their heart. They were concerned for me like that because I wouldn't go to an event if I couldn't drink. I wouldn't want to go somewhere or do something unless there was alcohol involved. If I did have to go to something, I would then make sure that I had alcohol to go home to whether that be a bottle of wine or two bottles of wine and then instead of pacing it throughout the night which I would have done if I didn't have to go anywhere I would then consume the same amount of alcohol in a much shorter amount of time um, my family were concerned they were um, worried and it was my my sister who would talk to me and kind of help me to to understand that what I'm doing is not right um, and then did you ever see them cry? Yes, yeah, I did. I saw saw my sister cry. I, I um, hurt myself to an extent that um, I really hurt her. So yeah, um, and that was the start of maybe me acknowledging that okay, I I'm in trouble here. So I then approached. That went on then for another few months. Um, and I approached my brother and I asked Damien, I remember sitting in the car and I cried. I was like, I need help. And that was the start of me turning my life around. And that was then true. He 
put me in contact with a girl he knew who was in AA. And I had my last drink on that Sunday and then I rang her and she said, there's a meeting on Thursday, come come down. And my plan was then, right, I won't drink till Thursday. And that would have been probably only four days. That would have been the longest I would have had gone without alcohol in years, just four days. And then I went to the meeting and I remember walking in and there was a good crowd in the meeting. The misconception about AA for me was the God thing. And Mm. that kind of kept me out. And that was an excuse that I would use as to why I wouldn't go. Um, But it's not all religion. It is a God of your understanding. Just for anybody listening that maybe they think that it is a religious um, cult or sect or something like that. It's not. It's um, non-judgmental, completely open. Um, to all whether you're an atheist or a raging Catholic whatever it is <laughs> don't say raging <laughs> um, and I went into that first meeting and I remember sitting there and I cried the whole way through the meeting because when everybody shared their own what they needed to say on that particular night it was like everything was to me and I remember thinking oh well I'm not as bad as that man or I'm not as bad as her or I, I'm worse than her and one thing that they said is that you can never compare yourself because and though I'm saying I'm not as bad as that person I didn't lose my job I didn't lose my home Do you know I'm not falling down drunk the thing is not yet if I continued mm. on the, the, the level of drinking that I was on and getting worse and worse that could be me so I went to that meeting and my plan was to stay sober, go to the meeting on the Thursday and then I could maybe drink on the Friday or the Saturday or maybe the Sunday, depending on how I was feeling, if I had a hangover or not, and then go back. Um, but after that very first meeting, I realised that it was all or nothing. If I, for me, need to change my life and to get out of the hell that I was feeling internally, I had to stop drinking. So I started with one day at a time. I wouldn't think about tomorrow or a week or I have Christmas or I have a birthday, everything. Because if you think about that, everything is I'm going to drink at. Mm. So I go one day at a time. I'm going to stay sober today and I'm going to go to bed sober. And that was the journey and that was how I approached it. And through that and through support, through family, through AA, through my colleagues here at work, through everybody, I've manage to stay sober one day at a time. Shane, um, Christine talking about the time she sat having realised that it was now starting to hurt her this, if it hadn't already done so. Um, the moment where she got into the car with her brother, burst out crying and I'm not sure whether he shed a tear yet back but I'm, I'm sure he was affected by it. Was there a similar moment for you or how did you, was it a gradual realisation for you or was there one moment where you said, no, this is enough, I've got to do something about this? There's a few moments, Brian. It, was, it, it, it didn't just hit me like a ton of bricks. I was well aware of it. Like I remember one time when the Imran nominations came out and I, nothing from a sports perspective got nominated and I just broke down and I was like, what more can we do? I was like, what more can I do? But I was after drinking the night before. Like it, it got exasperated over the pandemic. Like, Can I, I remember that day. Yeah. That's probably a year and a half ago maybe now. And mm. obviously since then you have received an, an IMRO um, nomination. 
But I can remember the talk around here. God, Shane took that very hard, didn't he? I mean, like, there's loads of us here who haven't received Imro nominations. There's loads of sports broadcasters all over the country that didn't receive Imro nominations. And I, I, I actually felt on the day he's just he's overreacting. What's mm. that all about? But you'd been drinking the day before. Yeah, well, like I would have been drinking that weekend. I wasn't in, in work that day, but I remember being quite annoyed uh, by it. Uh, but my like my whole, I was just after coming back from a, a lovely walk in Kumshingon, went and got my bottle of gin. Next day, the Imro nominations came out, and I was like, what more can we do from a sporting perspective? And it was kind of woe was me stuff. Um, it was exasperated during the pandemic. I became a solo drinker that was in just a room as opposed to a house. Uh, um, I was living in this lovely family um, in the house and trying to hide it from them, basically. Trying to hide all the madness that I was doing to myself. Oh, it's cold out. I'll get a hot toddy. But the whole bottle of whiskey would be gone. Then the Imro thing happened. Um, I started having this suicidal ideation, thinking that I'd be better off if I wasn't here. I started... Uh, and and the, the big snapshot... I know I said... I asked you not to talk about it, but the big snapshot came... When you don't have to, yeah, I, I like the, it. Might help someone the big snap because I know people that have done it while they're drunk and have not come out the other side of it. But like I basically, I tried, I tied a belt around my neck and I tried to go through the whole process and and then like from my all my blackouts that I just have that vivid memory of doing that and pulling and you know I wouldn't be here if 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 I didn't have that little moment of realization and I. Uh, I, I, I was, the next day, obviously, I, I, my whole body was unregulated. Um, I didn't feel feelings anymore. I didn't feel happiness. I just felt agitation all the time. And my partner sat me down, who's the most wonderful, beautiful person in the world. Um, she's actually sober longer than I am, and she just, she just doesn't drink, you know? And I started projecting onto her, going, let's have a drink, let's have a drink. And she said, Shane, you just need to get help. And she's held my hand, Diane, and guided me through the whole process. And it's never an issue of having to watch her drink and not being involved or anything like that. We go and do our own things. And now instead of being like a roller coaster, my whole emotions, my whole life, like up, getting so happy when I'm drinking and so down when I'm not drinking and going like that, I'm just on the level. And just um, a beautiful little insight into that story as well. Obviously, this year at the Imro Awards, when, when Shane was nominated some 12 months later, Diane was there with you. Yeah, she was. Uh, but like those kind of personal accolades, I couldn't, like I strived for when I was drinking. I wanted but the ego it's the ego yeah your self-inflated worth and all the things that I was doing and things not being successful and things and then not enjoying the success when you have it like you're striving towards something and you want something but then when you get to that point you're already looking past the next thing and I used to think that was uh, that was me being motivated and me wanting to achieve something in life it was me not enjoying the journey I was enjoying a Sunday night because I'm I work Wednesday to Sunday so my Sunday night was my Friday night and then occasionally that go into Monday. And maybe Friday night I'll go for a few points. Oh, the soccer. Lads, after having a soccer match, they're all down the pub on the Sundays. I'll go out with them for a few, but I'll make sure I'll have stuff at home. Um, I think it's probably the right point in the conversation um, to, again, just remind people that there is help out there, yeah. whether it's um, specifically to do with alcohol addiction or to do with other addictions or to do with depression. Um, there's so many people so many organisations out there as you guys are testament to that can be great help can change things and change your life um, I suppose one of the great starting points would be uh, even just going onto our own website and, and just looking at the list of numbers and contacts that are there um, for people to uh, to check out and have a look at uh, coming up on you know, 
25 to 12 now at this stage we probably hadn't planned on speaking this long about it but I think it's important that we've taken people through the early part of your journeys um, the worst of your journeys yeah. and I'd like if you're okay time wise uh, just to stay with me for a few more minutes because I want to try and celebrate um, the last number of months that you've you've both had and to try and act as a further motivation for other people that are listening Christine and Shane uh, stay with us we'll be back in a moment The KCL or Daily with Brian Redmond on air online and on smart speaker with thanks to the Fairgreen Shopping Centre gift card the perfect gift for all occasions see fairgreen.ie the KCLR Daily with Brian Redmond on air, online and on smart speaker. You're welcome back to the KCLR Daily. We're talking about battling alcoholism. It's simple terms. That's basically all we're talking about. Alcoholics um, come in many, many different forms. There's probably more of them in my life that I know about. Um, but two that I've had the pleasure of knowing and getting to know more over the last number of years have joined me in studio, Christine Power and Shane O'Keefe. Um, I want to read out some of the text messages that have come in to both of you. They're not to me, they're to you. Um, Are they going to make me cry? Um, maybe. <laughs> um, maybe not. Um, firstly, uh, hi Brian. Fair play to your speakers um, talking about drink. Brave people. Um, I hope everything works out well for them both. Um, well done, says Pat. Um, I gave up drinking 13 years ago and without family and friends I wouldn't be here to this day the two guys never give up and stay healthy says Joe um, and also well done um, chin up well done Chris specifically to you well done Shane as well um, <laughs> chin up you're doing brilliant proud of you and massive admiration uh, for your two guests their openness and honesty is unbelievable uh, well done to you both thank you um, thanks so there, they're all for you. Um, so, Christine, you've had the chats with your brother in the car. Yep. You've gone to the first meeting. You've looked around the room, gone, that's not me. That is me. He's worse than me. He's not as bad as me. Um, you've started the process without necessarily specifically talking about what that process is. Talk to me about how your life has changed. Um. Well... I'm happy in my skin. I'm happy with me. I'm happy that I don't need to drink to celebrate something or to commiserate something. I can deal with my emotions um, without alcoholism. So that's a huge step. Um, I'm so proud of myself. Like, you know, that I come in and I talk to you like nearly every month. I say to you, I'm another month yeah. now and, uh, on the on the anniversary. I would say, you know, I'm, I'm I love proud the joy. I, I, can I say something? I love the joy that's in your face every time you say that to me. Yeah, I do. To everybody. I, I do love that. I love the fact that I'm sober, that I'm living my life without alcoholism. Luckily, I've I've got to a stage where, like, I detest alcohol. I hate it. Um, I never want to be hungover again. I never want to be sad the way that I would be through alcohol. I never want to have to have that battle. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm only a day away. That could happen. Yeah. But as it's as it is now, um, I'm the happiest. Like, I'm 42 this year. The last 28 months are probably the happiest I've been in my adult life. And that is because I'm sober. Mm. Started drinking at the age of 10 or 11. Shane, um, a lot, not quite as far down the road as Christine yet. Some mm. eight months, I think, coming up um, in the middle of February. Yeah. 
Eight months. Well done. Well, yeah, well, yeah. yeah, well done. Christine, I mean, are the eight the first eight months the chain's going through now, and we'll get chains for you on it in a minute, but are those first few months the hardest? Or is um, it, well, is I can that... only speak for my journey. I can't speak for Shane's. For me, um, I did two meetings a week um, for the first six months without fail. Um, I really relied on the meetings, the people, the stories. That's what helped to get me sober plus then me wanting to like you can't get sober for somebody else and you can't get sober um, for any other reason other than you're acknowledging that your life has become unmanageable through alcohol and you want to change that Yeah. Um, and by doing that you will change your life Shane how has it changed over the last eight months it was a few different stages I've tried to give up drinking before and it was just anger I, every time I had that battle uh, when I went to AA that's when re- things really turned around. I showed up. I was in no state to even show up <laughs> to be outside the house. And I showed up and I shut my mouth and I listened and then I spoke when I needed to speak. And the first thing that really got through to me was the first step, just admitting that I was powerless mm-hmm. over alcohol. And once I got that into my head, I realised, hmm, there's no really turning back from this. And like, there's people that are there decades and, you know, I don't think that's for me. I don't, I don't think, but that just because it doesn't work for me doesn't mean it doesn't work for anybody yeah. else yeah. Um, there was the resentment going why can other people drink and I yeah. can't drink I had that as like well. you know why can they go and enjoy themselves they can go do this and why Why can't I why, am, why can't I control myself and then you just become grand you know it's a nice excuse to leave parties early if you don't want to go But <laughs> can I ask when did you first I mean I, I, as I said I think earlier on in, in this chat I only became aware of, of, of your situation in the last couple of days yeah. I've known about Christian's journey for a lot longer when did you two, when, when did you tell Christine, for example, that maybe you were going through something similar to what she'd been through? Well, because Christine was very open and honest about it, as you alluded to, I was able to chat with her when I had... I think it's even started yeah. before I was uh, thinking of stopping. And that goes to the point that we're trying to get across today, which is the fact that if you can find somebody um, to help or support, it can make a huge difference. I mean, what would you say to Christine? I mean, Christine is somebody who's been through the depths of alcoholism herself. Yeah. What's she done for you over the last... Just just being someone that you can talk to in work. It's like a and, little AA, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, because like you, as I said before, a lot of the time I can be quite affable and I don't have a lot of serious conversations with people. I try and, you know, lighten the mood with humour. But then talking to Christine and listening, and listening more, more importantly, mm. you know, you're starting to realise there's patterns here that you're going through and you don't want to end up in there. You might already be there without being massively self-aware, but I was self-aware enough to be able to go through speaking with Christine to go, this is, this is an issue that needs to be resolved. And, like, I'm enjoying things again. It took me so long to get into the radio and I started hating it just because I, all the weekend my friends were drink. off. Yeah. I, I to, to do filming it took me so long to do that I started hating it I'd go to a comedy night and if I couldn't drink at it I'd be so annoyed it took me so long to get the things that I wanted to, and it was just drinking it all away and now I like it again I love it again yeah <laughs> you know so I, say, I love being in here at the weekends is back yeah I lo- like I love being in here with Robbie at the weekends and we're just chatting sports coming on talking sports with yourself or with John Walsh or just being in around the office I like coming into work again is that the one thing that alcohol does to almost everybody? It takes love away. Or focuses your love on alcohol. Yeah, I, I don't think it takes love away. I think you you stop loving yourself, I think. Like I did. You know, I put alcohol before 
everything and everybody, but more importantly, myself. And that's what matters more. You know, I know your loved ones and your family matters, but if you're hurting and destroying yourself, that's who you need to fix first before then you can start then. That's why, you know, the making amends step is further down on the 12 steps is because like it's your own personal journey. You need to to love you back. You said something to me yesterday as we talk, you know, about the journey that the two of you go on. I mean, we've all got we've all got questions to answer in this regard because we're all part of a society that, for example, um, still displays alcohol for sale where we stick to powder, tobacco products behind unbranded screens. We still, um, for example, say, oh, she's not drinking, she must have a problem. Where if somebody said to me, I've never used cocaine in my life, I wouldn't say, oh, he doesn't use cocaine, but he must have a problem. Yeah. You know, alcohol is the only drug where people who don't use it are the ones that are described as having a problem. Yeah. How much do we have to change within society, be it through, you know, governmental actions, people changing their focus, their thoughts? How, how much do you think we still have to do to help get rid of the alcoholism that is well, I a think disease that so many people suffer from? I think maybe more um, to acknowledge or to let people know that there is support, that mm. it's okay. You know, like a lot of people, I was ashamed, you know, you're scared of how others might perceive you. You'd be worried about your job or your bosses. We're very lucky that, you know, our our bosses and, and our colleagues um, are completely supportive. And most of the time that will be the yeah, case. I think strange? it's education. Yeah, even like even down to yesterday, I mean, I know you've both been open with everybody that works here, including the bosses. But maybe I shouldn't be telling you this, but after you had come and said that you wanted to do this and I was delighted and honoured in a way that you did, I also went and spoke to them because I wanted to make sure that they were, were not going to okay. get the sack. Well, not that. <laughs> I mean, I knew that wasn't going to happen, but, you know, just to get their opinion as to whether it was the right thing to do. Um, there's a lot of people not as lucky as you guys to be in as supportive an environment with support of friends and families and work colleagues that, yeah. that you are here. But there will always be somebody to support you. And that's why it's so important to reach out. If it's not to a family member, then it's to a friend or, a or to AA. Yeah, that there is always somebody to support you. There's always, always a friend. Well, I, I, I can't um, I can't thank either of you enough um, for coming on and sharing um, the story with us. And I don't even mean on air, for example. I mean, Christine, all those chats at the front door, Shane, popping into the office uh, last week to tell me your story as well so uh, I'm honoured that you shared them with me on a personal level and so thankful that you were brave enough to come on air and do it I just wanted to um, finish out this chat again by reminding people that there is you know Christina said it much better than I ever could that there is support out there go and find them check online check on Casey Law's website speak to people if you're if you're I was going to speak to people if you're lucky enough to know somebody in your life who's been through the journey of alcoholism go and speak to them um, but I wanted to, to round off with a little bit of a flavour of what the KCLR listeners are saying about you both um, well Brian that interview was amazing um, I did a fantastic job capturing their stories they, they did a fantastic job um, of telling them but the texter goes on to say creating a safe space for them to share uh, it was really powerful and eye-opening um, just want to say how inspiring it was to hear you both um, open up about your addictions on the radio your courage and honesty really touched me keep fighting the good fight great interview Shane and Christine um, great courage keep it going 
um, lots more um, along the series. Hi, Brian. Fair play to your speakers about drink brave people. I hope everything works out for them both. Um, and this one. Uh, can I just say thank you to you both for being uh, so brave to speak about something so personal. I'm in tears listening to Shane and Christine speak. Hopefully this will help someone out there that is struggling. Um, it's been an extremely powerful interview and it has been an extremely powerful interview and uh, only because the two of you have gone through the journey and we're brave enough to come in and thank. Still on it. Yeah. Yeah. One day at a time. <laughs> See, we've all got to learn about it, Christine. <laughs> Shane, uh, Go and stick the kettle on. Yeah. Thanks, <laughs> Thanks, Brian. Thanks for sharing. The KCL or Daily with Brian Redmond. On air, online and on smart speaker. With thanks to the Fairgreen Shopping Centre gift card. The perfect gift for all occasions. See fairgreen.ie.